Welcome back, everyone, to our week four neuroscience webinar re-record, because unfortunately, last week, we forgot to press record, and we had such an amazing call, and it's such a shame that uh, it wasn't recorded, because everyone who was on the call was sharing such amazing insights, and uh, we do have the chat box from it, luckily. So we are going to use that and go back with the sharing that you guys did. Um, so that's why it is super important to be on these live calls because you miss out on the best juicy stuff. But Michelle and I are going to re-record this for you guys so you have the recording in your portals. You can go back to it because the feedback we had uh, from this call was absolutely amazing just with the tools that we are going to give you uh, that you can go away and use with your clients and with yourself, of course. Um, so yeah, Michelle, I'll hand it over to you and we'll get started. Thanks, Kayla. I just want to thank everybody for joining last week, but as well, anyone who's joining the recording now, like Kayla said, this digital age, sometimes we miss a button, but here we are showing up for you gals, just like you show up for your clients. So we're going to do our very, very best today to capture as much of what we covered last week. We'll have some visuals, some tools, some tips, but most of all, on the back of the last three weeks and what we've explored, we want to be able to give you three major takeaways that you can go and practice on the field. So not just more information, although we'll cover some of that today, but in particular, how we apply this, how we practice this immediately and start to refine our skill set based on what we've already learned. So we're going to go through some visual images, but then the three pillars that you can bring into your practice with clients immediately. And then post-session, uh, although it's not quite locked in yet, is it, Kayla? We're in discussion of creating a couple more calls for you ladies just to allow some integration of some of the things that we're going to get you to practice uh, from, from today. So before we kind of bring up the visuals, just see if there was anything else you want to name, Kayla, in response to um, what the gals might need or how we might move forward. Yeah, as well, as well, uh, ladies, if you're part of the Facebook group, you would have already seen that we have checked in with you around uh, one of the first tools that we give you uh, in this in this call. So we have checked in in the Facebook group. We're going to continue to check in on the Facebook group to ensure that this isn't just a course that you watch once and you forget about everything. We really want to make it applied. So that's why the, the word applied is in it. So we really want you to practice these tools with yourself firstly, and then, you know, passing these on to, to your clients. Yeah. Awesome share there, Kayla, in response to the gals watching back. Um, it, you know, it's really important. And I think I've experienced this. You've experienced this. We learn a lot. Right? We're watching podcasts, we're reading books, we're reading articles. There is such a, uh, um, such a massive amount of information coming into our systems at once. And to be able to capture just one small piece that we effectively apply and regularly apply is way more valuable than just more information. So we'll do our best with this today, but also ladies, any kind of feedback that you can give Kayla in the Facebook group, Facebook group or in the portal. Is that right, Kayla? Yes. Yep. In, yep. yep. You can in the portal. Comment in the portal. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> it's it's going to give us the information we need to see how we build out this next block, how we best support you moving forward. So this last four weeks, we've covered a couple of things. The first was one, just to welcome in 
What is the nervous system? And in particular, what is stress? How do we measure stress through the neuroscience lens and the neuropsych lens? Then we started to look at how we internally regulate the system. Um, but in particular, we took on the view of what's happening with pain, right? So, so chronic pain in the system or the relationship to pain in the body and that we need resources to be able to help bring people back into a relationship with their body when it's been a little bit disconnected. So that was our second session, which set us up for a third conversation around internal resources, um, which we have already shared in the portal, what it means to turn inward, settle the system, downregulate upregulate. We're going to talk a little bit more about that today, but then external resources, which we'll focus in on um, that you can apply and give to your clients in the context of working with polyvagal theory, which we've been using all along the window of tolerance we've been using all along, but in particular, how we do that in a super simple way. So I'll bring the visuals up in just a sec, unless Kayla has anything else to share. No, I think we're all good. There will okay. be a feedback form that we are going to send out as well to help uh, help you guys help us build out what you're really looking for and what you're really needing going forward. Super helpful. Um, and I think that's a really powerful theme, Kayla, in terms of how we work with clients, which is we can start off by offering something within the scope, within the ballpark of what the prescription is, but we really need feedback from clients to be able to know, are we on track? Are they experiencing what we intend? How do we collaborate in that way? Interestingly enough, it's a little bit about what we're gonna talk uh, to today. So welcome to our fourth and final session in this series. I can't believe we're finished. It went so fast. I've absolutely loved the time in this space. Kayla, what a powerful community you have. The engagement from you ladies on the calls, off the calls has just been second to none. Uh, you know, I do a lot of work in public spaces with different communities and there is something special about AWPT. So I want to again, thank Kayla for being a fearless leader I'm bringing us all together. She always gets embarrassed when I say that, but I'm going to keep saying it. But also for the gals, because um, we can have a vision and a mission, but it doesn't exist without the women in this space. I know, Kayla, you feel that certainly in the spaces that I'm in, I feel that too. So a gratitude and a thanks to everyone who's joined us so far. So here we are with Kayla, but also looking at Kayla, what are we going to learn today? The first is we're going to explore a different concept that's associated to what we've covered in the last couple of sessions. And we've done a lot of work around the window of tolerance, which we'll review some today. But in particular, we're going to look at the social engagement system, where it lands within the window of tolerance and the importance of this when it comes to working with clients. This is the single most important pillar of how to um, apply any of the prescription that you're bringing to a space. Not surprisingly, we're then going to look at the three pillars of the social engagement system, how you can apply it directly to your clients and really specific habits that you can go out into the field and use. And then we'll have, like last week, where we had a list of internal possible resources, we're going to have the opposite version where we have external resources as well. Not only will we cover uh, the overview of this, not the detail, although that will be posted in the portal, um, just because it's a little bit too, too much information, we will advise where these things come into play, where we would implement them in working with a client. 
So if you want more details on the external resources, it will be a part of this PowerPoint. Um, you can access it afterwards. So the first question, and we're going to slow this right down and really tune in. We did this with the gals in the original call, but you listening in, I want you to take a moment and ask yourself the question, what makes a great coach? Is it something you do? Is it a skill you execute? Is it that you know how to prescribe? Is it pacing? Is it dosing? Is it relationship? Let's take a moment and maybe jot a few things down, like one or two things. It's your sense of what makes a great coach. And while you do that, maybe Kayla, you can read out some of the answers from our amazing gals last week. Yeah, so Marie had just the best definitions we've ever heard. A great coach is someone who uses their knowledge, talents and abilities to be of service to others. They are able to engage with clients in a way that makes their clients feel safe, heard and supported. They inspire their clients to become the best version of themselves they value continuous growth. Oh, and a great coach is always a student. Amazing. I'm pretty sure she hit every single pillar there in terms of how we are internally, externally, how we behave and work with people, how we're continuously growing, how we show by doing and modeling as opposed to telling. These are all facets of not just a great coach, but the practice of mastery. What about your sense, Kayla? What do you think? Makes it. I know we have a couple more answers, but what do you think makes a great coach? Yes, I think a great coach is someone who is continuously learning and who is able to pass those learnings onto their clients um, while adapting to their specific clients. So Oof. to the individual, I think is really, really important because every human being is different. Um, you know, we have a lot of similarities, yes, but also I think a missing piece for a lot is that it has to be individualized. Mm -hmm. Individualized. The word agility comes to mind in your description there, Kayla, which is you can know your craft, but you have to be able to shift and modify client-centered where you take 50% of it, give it to that client, 80% of it, 20% of it, and really be willing to adapt for the person that's in front of you. That's a hell of a skill set. Mm. You know, with, um, with Marie's definition, your definition, we're going to hear some more in a sec. This is like, you got to be masterful in a lot of different domains. It makes sense that it can be a little bit tricky at times. Are there any other responses there, Kayla, that you want to share? Yeah. So Ash said, someone who you're able to relate to uses their knowledge and life experience to continue to help you on your journey. They need to be able to adapt to what you need during different stages of life and cater to you as a person, not just give the same guidance to everyone. Oof, there's that adaptation thing. <laughs> yeah. Appreciating hearing this back again is the recognition of different phases of life that in our early 20s, we have different needs, maybe different goals, not always, but maybe different goals or a very different lifestyle rhythm than we would mid-20s, 30s, 35, 40, 45, 50. Physiologically, we're different. 
our lives run are different, level of responsibility is different. And I really hear a recognition in that, not just the goal and maybe the physiological need, but also relationally, emotionally, lifestyle factors. Oof, another dynamic answer. I'm enjoying hearing these back again. Let's, are there any other? I think there are a few more. Yeah, we've got one from Kate. She said, I'd say a great coach uh, is empathetic and supportive, but also challenges the client to improve and be their best. Teaches the client so they learn and can be autonomous. Oof, I love the autonomous agency. You know that, Kayla. You know I was going to have a response to that one. Ultimately, you know, my sense of things, a great coach. There's the generosity piece, right? Wanting to have impact, wanting to share, wanting to support but not in the name of being the only person that can help them with that, right? Really enabling a client and being able to absorb, take on, integrate those learnings so they can be more autonomous, more agency um, um, as time goes on. You know, it's interesting because, um, and I think Kayla, you've heard me say this before, maybe long ago when we first started working together, feels like ages ago. Uh, <laughs> I, will, I will never ever hire a coach that doesn't give me tools to be independent. It's really funny if, it, if a coach doesn't give me the information to be independent, no way, because dependence is kind of a thing for that's my own stuff. I've done a lot of work around that. But if I work with a mentor or a coach and they say, the goal is that we give this to you so you can do it on your own, ironically, I will stay with them forever. Yeah. I'll stay yeah. with them forever. Just, yeah. I mean, fascinating reverse them, psychology. You want but. Them. Yep. And, and maybe need them at the beginning, certainly more support at the beginning. Uh, but there really is something special in, in working with people. I'd love to hear your response on this, Kayla, before we shift. Um, but working with people and feeling, noticing the shift of needing quite a bit, really leaning into your support, and then progressively them being able to execute things and run things a little more on their own, like birdies flying away at one point. Oof, it's the best feeling. How about for you, Kayla? Yeah, it's, you know, coming from that physio background as well, it's something that I found I was always doing with my physio clients was like, here's the tools that you can go and take away to help with your own pain. But also, you know, once you're sort of better and once you don't need me anymore, you don't need that manual therapy. These are the tools that you can use if you were to have a flare up of your back pain or something like that. And now it's just on a larger scale because I found I was saying similar things to different clients and I was like, well, how can I reach more people and know that, you know, the business model, because you see the business model of uh, chiropractors and things like that, not all, like there are great uh, professions in all professions, but where it's just like, just come back in a week, just come back in a week and just come back in a week, like for this. And it's, it's, yeah, that dependency reliance model. Whereas like, I think empowering people to do it, it makes them want to stay with you, not necessarily need to stay with you. Yeah. Well, well said. I sure wish that you were my physio, Kayla, long ago. <laughs> I was doing some uh, pretty intense recovery in my early twenties. Might've changed the game. I mean, eventually I got there, but, uh, but I just mm -hmm. love Hearing that from your background, you know, we work in, in um, different lines of work, but effectively still working with people, the body, the nervous system um, and different facets of it. Uh, were there any more that you want to share just before we shift or does that feel OK? Yeah, that feels OK. OK. 
So that question, what makes a great coach? For those listening back, if, if there's anything you want to share in the Facebook group around this, anything that it feels like we didn't cover that stands out to you or you're curious around, please do. Um, and, and we're happy to come back. All right. So in terms of what makes coaching mastery, the practice of coaching, coaching mastery, not just a good coach, not a great coach, but the practice of mastery. Now, from an egotistical point of view, it's unlikely most of us are going to be the best in the world and the best in history. All right. So in that, there is always a practice of becoming better, more attuned, our skill set, our craft more refined. But in the practice of mastery, in the area of neuropsych, we would define it as the capacity to hold space for suffering with the will and the skill to alleviate it. Now, you'll notice these are two very different things. The first being incredibly human-centered, that although we are going to be working with case studies, although it's really important to understand biomechanics, important to understand the nervous system, important to understand things like hormones, menstrual cycle, right, what's happening in terms of the biology and, and chemistry of nutrition, that we're working with a human being, a thinking, feeling, moving, reaching, and at times suffering human being. And in the absence of that, we really miss the boat on how we work with them effectively. But often in that situation, if we aren't able to hold space for things that are really challenging and that relational dynamic isn't there, people are not going to follow through with things, right? So in that, can we hold space for suffering? When we're working with clients, they show up not because of really, not because of the goal that they name. Well, it's very rare that the clients will, will um, name the underlying emotion as to what's coming up. Culturally, this is just kind of how we speak where we go, I want to look like this, or I want to do this, or I want to achieve this, or I want to be the ultimate bionic human being. But there's always something underneath. There is the opposing compensatory feeling underneath that when they say, I want to feel this way, it's an implication that there are parts of them that don't feel that way right now. And that piece, holding that in the container of working with a human being, even if they don't have language for it, even if you're not speaking to it all the time, this capacity to hold space, empathy, and understanding for it is the thing that allows clients to feel safe, to feel seen, to feel heard, that it's not just external outcomes that we're aiming for, but instead the feeling of triumph and achievement, the feeling of transformation when we start to feel a little bit different about ourselves, regardless of, of what it is we're working on. Right, so the capacity to hold space for suffering there is understanding the human underneath. And then this next piece, the will and the skill to alleviate it, well, that's our craft. Right? And that's working with biomechanics, that working with physiology. In my case, that's working with the nervous system and thoughts and feelings and emotions that accompany it and going, it's okay that this is here. It's not too much. We can be with this. And also there are some things that we can help with to shift it in a way or to move towards something else or to overcome something that's been feeling really, really hard. I want to check with you. Kayla, your sense of that, of the human being behind it and, and being able to hold space for that, but then also engage in a process that helps them experience a, a different way. Yeah, I think you addressed it really well, Michelle, where you said it's rarely what the surface level reason is for it. So, for example, if you guys have 
uh, clients that say, I want to lose five kilos. It's like, well, why do they want to lose five kilos? What's the reason? How is it going to make them feel? And digging deeper because that's the thing that's actually going to, you know, help them the most and, and allow them to stick to the things that you give them as well. Another example I can give is during the, you know, the interviews that I conduct for the mentorship. It's like, what do you want out of this mentorship? And nine times out of 10, the answer is confidence. Confidence as myself in, in myself as a coach, um, alleviating that imposter syndrome um, that a lot of coaches suffer with as well. So it's, it's yeah, really digging deeper into the why um, which will help drive uh, the motivation for them to be able to, to achieve what they're setting out to achieve. Yeah, well said. The why behind it, what's underneath. I love that you name that, that one of the driving reasons of why people come into AWPT is to build confidence, an implication that maybe parts don't quite feel confident and that that's so multifaceted. We can know our craft, but maybe have a little trouble holding space or connecting with human beings. Maybe we're amazing and so empathetic and connect with people, but a little unsure that our prescription is targeted. Right here we are in this like amazing apex of the industry where we're trying to integrate so many things. A coach is like 10,000 different people. And that can feel incredibly overwhelming. One of our goals for today is to give you some really specific anchors that are going to help put a container around the prescriptions that you're giving. There could be a million different things you do. Our, our invitation provocation is what we covered today. Start with those. Check out, see how that is. Utilize the space in AWPT for us to go, how is that for you? What do we need to tweak change? How do we use that to support you best? So in that, I think it's just overall the message is full permission, ladies, that you're not going to be an expert in everything that we need people around us, that if we've got some pretty, uh, like some basic attuned skills of holding space for people, and then we're developing, we've definitely got the intent here. Nobody would be in this course if they didn't have the will, <laughs> but then progressively in spaces with people who can support you in building skill as well. A human piece, the intent, the generosity, the will, and then the pieces of prescription. You get that triad and things are going to be looking pretty good for you in practicing coaching mastery. Did you want me to read out a few of the, oh, to the next level, sorry. This is yeah. the question. Yeah. So <laughs> this one, how do we take our coaching to the next level? If we have a sense of what coaching mastery is, if we have a sense of what maybe um, um, uh, having a good coach or, or um, practicing coaching in an in, in excellent form with your clients, how do we take it to the next level? Like what comes next? I think we had some answers from the gals. Yeah, one. we had some amazing answers. Um, so again, Marie, for me, taking coaching to the next level means developing a better understanding of the human experience through continued education in whatever field you're in. It means being able to embody what you learn and put it into practice so that you can help clients do the same. As a part of that human experience, learning how to engage with clients so you can understand and meet them where they're at, then take them on the journey from where they are to where they want to be. Dictionary definition. Awesome. 
Awesome. So comprehensive, you know, the human element, the skill element, um, the modeling element show by doing, not by telling, Oof, being able to invert that. There are so many spaces in this industry where there is a lot of talk and a little less modeling, just how our culture is. It's how we've been taught in university. So it's a really interesting transition to go from formal education to the practical elements of the field and go, Oof, now I have to embody it. Now I need to practice it. Now I need to be able to show versus tell. And, and that's a really interesting problem to solve when there are a lot of spaces that are encouraging that. I love that definition. What's next? Kate says, for me, I'm always trying to be the safe space for my clients and allow discomfort. Not always trying to fix it and force results, but supporting them to look at what's going on at a deeper level, which is driving the issue and wanting to and what they want to fix. Mm -hmm. Slower is certainly faster, especially in ways of the unconscious parts of the nervous system. I mean, we're not talking too much about that in this short course. Uh, these things take a heck of a lot of safety in a relational space to be able to rise to the surface. Often clients, and I'm going to name ourselves as well. It's why it's so important we're in spaces where we can do personal work. But often people don't have a strong awareness of the reasons why they might be struggling or things that have been hard for them to surmount. They don't really have a clear understanding of what's going on for them. And as coaches, it's pretty risky for us to assume that we know either. Right? We don't know their system better than they do. That's a really important piece. But this relational alchemy and collaboration is required to very slowly start to uncover and make sense of what drives this person, what actually feels good for this person, what feels powerful and strong for me might be completely different for them. And we need space and time to be able to figure that out as a unit, right, together, discover that together. Incredibly collaborative. We'll talk more about collaboration later. Anything you want to add to that, Kayla? Um, there was just one more really good answer. So Taryn was saying, for me, what I struggle with in regards to taking coaching to the next level is integrating in a way that my clients can understand, but not feel overwhelmed. I find that there is so much information out there. And when clients feel overwhelmed with all the layers, they don't do anything. So I'm always mindful of how I can communicate and simplify concepts for them so they can still integrate and create change. Oh, wow. Fantastic answer. And just as I listen to that, it just brings relief to my system. You know, it's interesting in, um, in one of the companies that I work in, Art of Noticing, which Kayla, you're familiar with, one of the things that we have been aiming to do, and I think do pretty well, although we can always improve, um, is what we learned in half a lecture in university. So like in an hour, we teach in an applied and progressive form over the course of six and a half months. What we learned in one hour, we teach in six and a half months. But I can tell you that at the end of that six and a half months, the gals in our program know way more about how the nervous system operates, how they experience it, how to be able to language that and describe it to someone else than 99.9% .9 of the people that came out of that original lecture. It's something I'm deeply proud of. It's something I really struggled with in university. That was very hard on my system where I went like, but how do I, and just like, can I practice this? Can we practice this? So that, that, um, that it, and it is quite a challenge, right? What we're learning in, in um, academia 
sophisticated form, that's really important. That's our base. But if we can't translate that into a language that our, our you know, our five-year-old cousin can understand or our 10-year-old sibling can understand, it falls by the wayside because not everybody's interested in physiotherapy. And although it pains me to think not everybody's interested in neuroscience. <laughs> so those, the best coaches out there are the ones that on the front end, things are incredibly simple, so simple. Anybody could get. And on the back end, when you peer behind the curtain, you see all of the layers the level of sophistication that's there, the amount of deep work that's been done to bring to the front line something that is incredibly simple and actionable. What's your sense of that, Kayla? I'm glad that we landed on this today. That's a little yeah. different than last week. Yeah, well, that just brings me to like, you know, I feel and, you know, working with a lot of coaches, I'm asking them, so what courses have you done? What have you sort of done? And the number of courses that coaches have done is just like so extensive but also it's like well why is there still this feeling of not having confidence in knowing things and you know a weekend course or something like that you only really retain about 20 percent of everything that's in their course like I've definitely been to weekend courses where a lot of things have just gone over my head and it's slow and you know, going back to university, you were saying about that, that half an hour lecture over six months, you know, I think we learnt, you know, all aspects of anatomy over a semester, which is, I think, 12 weeks. I can't remember. It's been a long time since I've been back at uni. But yeah, with the mentorship, we only take the superficial muscles in the first six months. And we, we learn, I think there's maybe 10 of them of the main ones that we go through and we take that and we learn that over the six months and there's a practical component to it as well so it's like you're actually going out and training that in the gym there's a program with it same with AON we do it in the actual calls and we do it when we go outside the calls and we we track and we notice and we do all these things because yeah you can learn something but have you really learned it Oof. Kayla, I love that question. You can learn something, but have you really learned it? We won't go down the rabbit hole, the deeper layers of the nervous system, but I do want to put the provocation out there for the parts of us that feel like imposters because we've all felt it. We've all felt it. Anybody who cares about excellence and trying to do the right thing and wants to take care of people, of course, they're going to have parts that question, do I know enough? Is it enough? Should it be better? But for the parts of us that have experienced that feeling, this is a potent question. If their emphasis is on just memorizing information, of course, they're going to feel like an imposter when they go to the field and try and apply it. So in this, we're landing on something really powerful. And I think this maybe perhaps sets us up for how we work with you gals in future. In this part, the imposter part, the building confidence part, it is less about what we know and more about how we apply it. The perfect program that can't be translated into simple form that a client can't follow because they're overwhelmed or they're not safe enough in the relationship falls by the wayside. It's totally ineffective. A program that's perhaps a little less perfect in a context where the client really understands and is able to follow through and progressively get better at it, fantastic way more effective. So in this, we've 
gone a little bit deeper than last week, which I really am grateful for because it's quite a potent conversation. We might even take pieces of this and put it on your podcast, Kayla. How do we take coaching to the next level? Ongoing education, but not just that, not just quantity, not even quality, right? Both of those pieces are important, but instead are there spaces where you're really integrating this information through practice, through application, through feedback loops with people you trust to develop a language that you can then translate and give to your clients. I, I, I don't think anybody's ever um, marketed a cure to imposter syndrome, but I'd say we're about as close <laughs> as anybody, right? Really integrating and understanding the information that you're putting out. Anything else we'd like to add on this? Um. No, I had something, but I think I've lost it now. But yeah, I think, yeah, it's so important to, you know, I tell my my mentor girls, my mentorship girls, like the best way for you to learn is to be able to teach it in your own words and in your own ways. And that means you've actually really understood what's what's being taught and what's going on. Yep. Well said, Kayla, you know, even my own system in trying to understand something, I will always be a client first, understand it from that lens, then pursue the academia, understand it from that lens, then start working with people from a professional standpoint, then an education standpoint, you know, the assurance there, but also invitation to ladies here is how many different angles can you understand one concept or from which can you understand one concept? Really cool saying um, is if you understand one thing, one concept in depth, you understand 10,000. If you understand one concept in depth and you can apply it to anything, reverse it, turn it over, flip it, invert it, you understand 10,000. That has absolutely been my experience of neuroscience. We know this because we're applying it to like 10 different industries at the moment, which are all vastly different. And yet there's so many similarities. Uh, you know, this one, new one working with coaches, enjoying it immensely, as we can hear. Okay, so yeah. we might keep um, keep moving here. Kayla and I are having a great time <laughs> sharing some information. Speak for hours. <laughs> yeah, and we're fine. We're, we got a podcast rhythm here. So what are we looking at here, ladies? This is the social engagement system. Now, this visual is, is uh, you, you'll find it familiar from the last couple of sessions we've done. Really important, we're getting some visual repetition just to help some of these concepts sink in. But like we were talking about, take a look at them from different angles. So that was done by design. Now, the social engagement system, you'll remember this picture here. So if you follow my cursor here on the right-hand side, We've got the three different branches of the vagus nerve. The green here, if anyone's colorblind, this one where my cursor is, that's the green. And then down this one here where my cursor is, that's blue. And then down the spine here, we've got red. These colors correlate to what we're seeing on the left-hand side. So the red up the top, the blue down the bottom, and the green in the middle. As a review, this is we're looking at the window of tolerance but then looking at the branches of the vagus nerve that correlate to the different spaces within or outside of the window. So when activation, i.e. hyperarousal, is very high, you'll notice that it's these red nerves down the spine that are activated. 
when activation hypoarousal, it's very, very low. It's the blue one that runs down here that's activated. But then for the basis of what we're speaking about today, setting us up for how we apply some of the, the three pillars that we're going to introduce to you, it's really the centerpiece right in the middle. I've lost my cursor and she's back right in the middle of the ventral, vagal, and social engagement system. So on the right-hand side, you'll see these nerves and they go right behind the face. So the SES, we'll call it the SES moving forward just to save time and, <laughs> and syllables. Um, so the SES are all the nerves that go behind the face and it's what activates our facial expressions. Even right now, you'll see my eyebrows go up, my eyes get big when I smile. These are all signs to other nervous systems that we're in contact, we're in play, we're safe, we're in relationship, we're not a threat. A lot of the emphasis is in the face, but you'll also notice that it goes down the front in the throat and in the chest and in the solar plexus. So directly connected to how our heart rate goes up and down, how our breathing is executed, so our diaphragm and our lungs. You also see that the nerves go back down on the back of the neck. So it allows us to look around and notice our peripheral environment. So why is this important for today? When we're inside of our window, when the system is feeling safe enough, and as a review, this is when our prefrontal cortex is online, when it's regulating the bottom parts of the brain, when it's regulating the stress response in the nervous system, that's when this green branch is online. That is also correlated to when our social engagement system is online. So they show up together. We're looking at it from two different angles. I, I want to check if there was anything, Kayla, you wanted to ask or share just before we move forward. That was a pretty dense block of information. Yeah, we did have a couple of questions in the chat box. So Taryn was asking, um, can you jump, uh, sorry, can you drop into different zones in different areas of your life? Yes, I remember. Powerful question. So with this in mind, right, ideally when our system is feeling safe enough, or should, I shouldn't even say it, ideally we want systems to feel safe enough, but we can guarantee when they are, the social engagement system is online. Taryn's question there is, can we drop in based on different areas of life? So for instance, if we're at the gym with clients, maybe we're somewhere in the middle, just as an example. Our facial expressions are quite dynamic. Our voice is dynamic, like mine is right now. Our body is free to move. Our heart rates and breathing are quite steady. We can even measure, and this is for Taryn as well. I don't know if she'll watch it back, but we can even measure when our social engagement system is online. So Kayla and my are both online right now. We can measure that heart rates start to sync up with each other, as do breathing rates. Co-regulation is the term. It's fascinating to see this with biometrics, that a system that's high or low, if it comes into contact with another system whose social engagement system is online and attuned, we'll talk more about that later, their system will attune to yours. If your heart rate's lower, theirs will lower. If your heart rate's a little bit higher, theirs will go a little bit higher. The breathing rate will go in sync. We see this in syncing up on hormonal levels with menstrual cycles, which is really interesting as well. But co-regulation, it's all happening from the SES. So your question there, Taryn, can we drop into different areas based on different areas of life? Absolutely. Our nervous system can change to go in or out of the window within a second. 
right? It happens super, super quick. But it's going to be dependent on how our system is scanning for potential threat. And remembering from our first couple of sessions, threat and danger isn't what we think. It's what the lower levels of our nervous system are picking up via um, um, by scanning for things that will trigger the amygdala or not. Right, so with that in mind, maybe you feel really safe in the gym and it's like familiar and a steady environment. And then let's say, and this is a personal monologue because I got a pretty sensitive nervous system. I pick a lot of stuff up. Maybe you go to a party, check like my husband loves going to parties. That's he loves it there. That's a lot of stimulation for my system. I, I love people, but it's a, it's a lot. Bright lights, loud sounds, a ton of motion, right? In that, even though that's technically safe, like I know that's safe enough, but I'll go from an environment where I might be speaking in front of 200 people, which a lot of systems would totally flip out. And I'm in the middle there, right? My SES is online and I'm steady. I go to a party with 20 people. <laughs> and in response to Taryn's question, that might kick me pretty high to the edge of my window or maybe a little bit out. And then maybe you come home and feel safer and then you're back in. For some systems, maybe being home alone or not being around a lot of people, not so good. It doesn't feel so good. So this can change moment to moment, but it's also highly dependent on how we perceive threat in our environment, what our conditioning has taught us to say, that's enjoyable, it's safe, I really love going to parties or they're totally bonkers, it's really loud. <laughs> overwhelming <laughs> because yeah we're learning a little bit more about michelle um, I, i'm wondering if that feels okay kayla in terms of the response to taryn yeah no that was perfect because i remember she was saying and i've checked in with her after this and as well and spoken to her um about it and she was asking can you go from hypo to hypo uh, hypo to hypo within days and I remember your response was it could be seconds like it yep. can be really quick yeah and and this is something as well like to keep in mind with our clients when you know if you have a client who comes into the gym and they are up here and they are in that sympathetic state they've had a busy day or they've had a stressful day you know, just taking a little bit of time to, you know, we don't necessarily want to be in a parasympathetic state for training, but taking a bit of time to get them a little bit more into this, this steady state, that social engagement system on, you know, asking them how their day is and things like that before just jumping straight into a workout can be super regulating for their system. It seems so simple, doesn't it? How is your day? Yeah. How is your day? Let's check in and, and often... Um, missed right no small talk we're wasting time we're here to do a job but as we'll come to learn more of today it's actually the basis as to whether or not what you prescribe and how you're taking people through a program whatever that may be it's whether or not it's effective or whether or not it doesn't work at all there's really high stakes here so as a rule of thumb and although we didn't talk about it last week it feels pertinent to name today the higher a system is the faster it can change Right, so if we look at my cursor here, if a system is pretty steady and regulated most of the time, it takes a lot longer for that system to move from high to low. Right? The incline is softer, the decline is softer. So you'll see it kind of moves within this window here. When we think of the sympathetic and parasympathetic state, sympathetic, when we breathe in, we did this experiment in week number two, 
I think it was two or three, one of those. <laughs> it was all great. So the I think in- it was three, yeah. Was it three? The sympathetic is the inhale, and then the exhale, we feel the parasympathetic, right? So in response to Taryn's qu- question, even just breathing is this interaction between sympathetic and parasympathetic. But the more extreme the rise, and the more often we're there, like really edging, at the edge of the window here, the faster our system can shut down, the faster it spikes up, the faster it shuts down, right? We know this with things like measuring tools like HRV. So when we're somewhere in the middle, when our SES is online, when we're spending time in spaces where people understand these concepts, either intuitively or an active practice, we're gonna notice we have a lot more of a buffer and a lot more leeway, right? And we feel this in our own system There might be weeks or months where there is a lot on, but our system is like, nah, I'm just rolling with it. Like it's a lot, but I'm here. I'm doing okay. We're rolling with the waves, baby. Like we're rolling with the punches. We can also recover really well. Maybe our sleep's still pretty good. And then there might be other times, maybe it's dependent on our hormonal cycles or it's an accumulation of stress over time. You know, right. I used to experience up and downs daily. I would say by the minute less than that and now it's about maybe like a three to four month cycle where I'm like okay we got to pull it back a little bit (laughs) we've been sprinting for a while I love sprinting but I feel the accumulation now right if we push it just a little too far it's a hell of a buffer going from one minute to four months that's a lot of practice that's 22 years of practice going from one minute to four months but if I push it a little bit too much I'll notice spikes as opposed to Okay, we'll pull it back. And this can show up in recovery from training, can show up in recovery from a tense conversation, can show up in recovery even from things that are really exciting, that I really love. You know, a system that is having a little trouble regulating itself with the SES offline, we're going to notice these big spikes. So you see this line here. We drop below here, the PFC is offline. It's very hard to recover. We go up here. PFC is offline and it's really hard to downregulate as well. So this sweet spot, but as well active practice for ourselves as well as clients is how often can we support a space and bring an energetic quality to a space that's going to encourage clients to be here. It's going to encourage us to be here, which means the experience of life overall is less stressful. Even with things that are challenging, our system can recover from it. It's physical, mental, and emotional. But in addition to that, we'll notice that our clients have the same response, right? A hard training session in a really safe relational space isn't going to floor them, right? They might walk out feeling more energized, feeling triumphant, feeling satisfied, Whereas one that's maybe not in a safe space, that they're feeling really, really pressured, they might walk out and go, oh, I can't even like that's it for my day. I got nothing left. Same weights, same load, but the experience of their nervous system is entirely different. One is inside the window with the SES online. The other one's outside the window and the system has trouble coming back to center. So we're going to go into more detail, but anything else, Kayla, you want to add to that? No, I think that's really important. And like you were saying before with systems, co-regulating as well like you know if you're stressed if you've had a stress day as well knowing those internal mechanisms that we spoke about last week but also these external regulation mechanisms as well uh, for yourself so that you know you can you can be that person for your client you can be that safe space that steady 
rock for your clients. Yeah, that's that feels important to say, and um, and it's just full permission here that we're not always going to get that right. We too are human. We are human having our own experience. It's why we need other spaces to be able to help support us. But this idea of how do we support our own systems? So we are more in our own window. We have a little bit more of a buffer when we come into contact with spaces of clients in their systems too. This is something that's really well studied, um, practiced in the neuropsych field. It's why we have things like supervision. It's why I would never trust a coach without a coach or a mentor that doesn't have one. I hard and fast rule on this one. (laughs) I have a very hard and fast rule on this one Um, because we are not built to hold things and hold spaces for other people when nobody is supporting us in that. Systems need systems full stop. It's not a luxury. It's a need. So in that, we had some sharing last week. Uh, I think it was from Taryn as well where she said, I've actually been taking some of those internal resources from our third session, applying them, which might otherwise feel like parts of us might go, should we, or should we be doing more work, or should we be doing that, and adding them in, and then noticing how different her system is showing up in the space with a client that might be experiencing, you know, somewhere around the edges there. We better take care of our own system, and quite naturally, with less effort and more ease, we're able to practice and just share the energetic field. And this is not from like a woo-woo, which doctor, when I say energetic <laughs> field, we're talking neuroscience, right? Mirror neurons and the regulation of our nervous system. I always like to put a disclaimer around that. Um, we're able to create a container where the SES is online for our clients. This Most of this is unconscious. Their system will sync up with ours. Their experience of the space is better. Our experience of the space is better. We both recover we don't burn out, they're less likely to burn out as well. We went down a rabbit hole on that one, but it was great. So, love it. so this, um, this leads us to, you know, it's great, Michelle and Kayla, we've got all this information and that's cool. We got a chart and unless we're showing this chart to our clients, like, what do we do with this? Where's the applied piece that you ladies are banging on about? Well, here we are, the SES practice. There are three main pillars and we could do this a million different ways. We've just chosen the simplest way that you can go out into the field and start to be able to implement this, right? Super low stakes. They can't really get this wrong. So with these three, the first is, well, what do we notice? And we learned from our first and second session that just the practice of noticing on its own is hugely effective at regulating our nervous systems. Not analyzing, not trying to define, not trying to work out or fix, but simply noticing our internal and external experience. Curiosity. This is innately important when we come in contact with other human beings. They might not know their experience or be able to put language to their experience yet, but just bringing curiosity to a space and going, I wonder, like, how do you notice that? How are you feeling that in that movement? Or like Kayla so wisely shared earlier, how's your day? Or the simplest form of curiosity, like how are you going? That's a powerful question, how? How do you feel it? How do you notice it? I'm gonna say, how was your day? How are you doing? Like really genuinely being curious in that. Not only does that activate your PFC, but it is a signal of safety to someone else's system where they go, oh, they're interested. And actually that's a good question. 
let me check in on that. The invitation to simply inquire without trying to fix or change in my sense of things, doing this work for so long is the single most, single most powerful tool that we can bring to a space. Not only that, it's going to give us the information that we need to help navigate and guide any kind of prescription that we might share moving forward. If we miss this piece of just tuning in and noticing, we're probably going to fall into the trap of just talking at people and hoping that they'll be compliant and like the things that we like. <laughs> You're like, bear it up. It happens sometimes. It totally happens. We get excited. Uh, but then we might find ourselves a little bit frustrated on the back end going like, why aren't they following the thing that I'm really excited and trying to put energy into? We might have missed one of these pieces. So the first thing is bringing curiosity, which is a, a signal of safety to the nervous system, to yours, but also theirs in the space. In addition to that, they're inquiring. So instead of just being compliant, they're starting to turn inwards and go, how am I experiencing that? We were talking about autonomy and agency before. This is a building block to be able to set up for that. You want a client to be able to be curious about how they're experiencing a movement, just as an example, when you're not there. So when you are there, that modeling and that practice becomes the anchor for it. Fascinating how clients just pick up the language that you're putting in the space with repetition. I hear this all the time. Maybe you do as well, Kayla, <laughs> where your clients will just like start talking like you, except you noticed when you started talking like your mentor. Right? These are, <laughs> is, is this happened? This phenomenon happened to you, Kayla? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Mirror neurons, right? So if we're bringing curiosity to a space, that's our habit that sets us up for understanding what we need to respond to. Attunement is the second. This is where we're practicing compassion. We're really engaging the social engagement system, but that can't be done until we simply notice first. If you assume somebody's had a great day and then you're just really excited in a space and maybe you're like joking around, you know what happens if you've misattuned, right? Lands like a lead balloon absolutely lands like a lead balloon. Sometimes humor is fantastic, but we've all had this experience. If it's like kind of mistargeted, you go, oh, oh. it's usually because there's a little piece here that's missing. We're operating from our experience instead of noticing someone else's or noticing the interaction between the two. So first curiosity, but then attunement. This is the piece where we go, I wonder how this person is, like, how would that be? The experience of really heightened activation. That's hard. I felt it before. It's a lot. It's overwhelming. So person has four kids and two jobs and she's running around. She's super tired. I can see it on her face. I can feel it in her system. Like, oh, and she's still here. And she's still showing up. What is not attunement? To say, hey, you have a job to do. Smash out these and do it perfectly. Total misattunement. Right, for a system that's working to do everything perfectly all the time, it's not going to land well. Right? If someone comes in super serious and they're really focused and regulated and you just play it really casual and it's like just a bit of a joke around, that's probably not so attuned either. Right? Really noticing the system of the client and where you're at and then starting to attune to their experience. We'll talk more about the details of this in a sec on our next slide. And then the third is the collaboration piece which is with you and them both noticing, with you and them both connecting to that experience. 
through attunement, whether the high, low, steady, somewhere in the middle. Then there's a collaborative piece of going, okay, well, what do we want to do with this today? Like, what would it look like? Or how could we execute it? If we did this, how would that be for you? Or do you have a sense of what might be helpful in terms of pace or dose? So you're starting to kind of be in this relational feedback loop to work with them on how to use the prescription, not just what the prescription is. Kayla, is there anything you want to add to that piece there, those three pillars? I think that is really important for coaches to, you know, like, first of all, notice what your client is like when they first walk in. Uh, Notice them because, you know, notice, even notice your system first and notice what you need to be for them. Um, Because, you know, if they've come in and like you said, if they've had a stressful day and, um, you know, they might not, them, their PFC might not fully be online as well. And they might not even know that they're in such that heightened state. They might be like, yep, just got to get it done kind of thing. But you slow them down and you say, okay, well, like, how was today? Like, how are you feeling? Um, and that allows them to check in sometimes. And you've named this before, Michelle, as well. Like, there's just that automatic response, which is like, I'm good but then like, how are you really? Mm. Um, and then, you know, that check-in piece is really, really important because, you know, if they do say, okay, well, actually maybe I'm not doing so good, you can then attune and you can say, okay, well, you know, maybe today we had this really hard session planned, but, you know, it might not be the best day to do that session. So how can we collaborate and how can we um potentially you know adjust the programming to suit where they're at that day yeah amazing and and i love that you're you're identifying the nuance and the distinction there and we've all had this right parts that are like i'm fine i'm fine pb today pb today and on the days where you hurt yourself or you push a little more you go i knew it Mm. i knew something wasn't quite right why didn't i listen why didn't i listen you know, this is the advantage of having a second set of eyes. I see Kayla's response. That's happened to you before, Kayla. I don't know how many times it's happened to me before. <laughs> Just pain. Oh, the pain. Right. At 35 now, I've learned my lesson. If anything, it's kind of the um, once bitten, twice shy, right? 20 times bitten, 50 times shy. That's for sure. Of pausing, pulling back. Is that okay? Is it not so okay? Is it maybe on the edge? So there's what clients want. They might name that. They might not be familiar with the language to describe their experience. But then as you get better at practicing these anchors, as we bring more education and more support and application to you ladies in the space here, it's also identifying what their nervous system might need. Two different things. Sometimes they're aligned. Sometimes they're not. This is the same for us as it is for clients. It's why we need systems around it. So we might have a client come in and go, yeah, let's smash the session. But we're actually noticing the body's not moving as smoothly, as powerfully, as strongly, as steady as it normally would. Things are looking a little bit wobbly. There's maybe a little too much activation in the system. Do you have to say that to them and go, whoa, man, like you're way out of sorts. Like you're outside your window. We need to probably not. (laughs) That might not be so helpful, right? If you've got a really good relationship, maybe there's space to be able to go. Maybe, what do you think? Maybe not today. If it's a newer client, or the relational space isn't quite there. Maybe it's, well, let's warm up in this way. 
let's just ensure, you know, these muscles are really active, that things are feeling steady. Let's progress our way up. And you just keep checking with me on how you're noticing this. And you're starting to see, okay, the body actually is starting to kind of come back online, PFCs online, feeling a little bit better. Um, but, but they're engaged in that process. You're engaged in that process, right? You haven't taken it over. They haven't taken it over. Uh, but slowing things down enough without it feeling threatening while still being able to collect the information you need to apply the prescription in the best possible way. Yeah. Okay, to move forward? Yeah, okay. Getting some great potency today. So the first one, the first anchor is noticing. The habit here is to just simply be curious. Some two main questions you can, or two main questions you can ask is how do you notice their system first? Is it high activation? When we're talking about the window of tolerance, we'll have a visual for you in just a sec on the next slide. Is it high activation? Is it low activation? Is it somewhere in the middle? How do you pick that up? In their face and the pace of how they're speaking and their body language. You don't have to know the details as of yet. This is simply an entry level question to help you be curious. You can hear what they say, but what are you also noticing about their nervous system? Yours too. And then this piece, how do you notice your system? It's interesting, the nervous system, we're always looking through it. It's very rare we're looking at it. So sometimes when our system is revving pretty fast, the rest of the world looks like it's moving really fast. <laughs> or if our system is moving really slow, maybe the world is a little bit fuzzy and foggy for us. Fascinating phenomenon, but why it's equally as important to U-turn to tune in. How's my system at today? Oh, maybe I need to slow down a little bit. Maybe I need to put a longer block in between clients so I can help regulate myself before I step in to a space with someone else, right? These are all really useful questions, but that, how do you notice your system? And then how do you notice theirs? Simply be curious. We're accumulating the practice of building neurons of noticing from the prefrontal cortex, like we talked about in session one and two. So what do we want to aim to look at? And this is a visual. You do not have to memorize all of this now. I do not expect you to remember all of this now. It's one of the reasons we put the visual in so you can come back to it. So if it feels helpful for you to screenshot this, print this out, put this somewhere where you can revisit uh, instead of expecting yourself to remember all these things, great. If it's something that feels a little overwhelming for you um, at the moment, that's okay too. We just leave it, can pin it for later. So we're taking a look at signs that we can pick up when we're noticing to see what state we or our clients might be in. You'll see in the middle, this is that where our social engagement system is online, the ventral vagal. Those are that, the green nerves that go behind the face, down into the heart, and then the breathing. You'll notice that here we can feel and think at the same time. <laughs> Seems strange because we think that's always happening, not so much, feel and think simultaneously. Empathy, feelings, even if they're uncomfortable or tolerable. This is a fascinating one because when we say feelings, we're not just speaking to maybe distressing emotions that are pretty high or pretty low. We're also looking at like rep number 11 on a Bulgarian split squat, right? That's like a really uncomfortable sensation in the body. We're going to have feelings and thoughts show up in response to that. And when we're somewhere in inside the window, we're able to stay with it. 
what we can stay with the parts of us that go, I hate this. I don't want to do this. Kayla knows I have this love hate relationship with with squads. They're my favorite. (laughs) I think maybe sometimes. (laughs) It depends how many. Yeah. So, so when we're in our window, our system has enough of a bandwidth to be able to stay with that feeling that otherwise on a day, that's pretty tough. Maybe we've had lack of sleep, maybe a nutrition's off point. Maybe we've had an accumulation of other stress. It's just going to feel too much. We end up kind of stopping at rep like eight or nine, or we have a client that goes, I just can't, or it's not for me, or I just don't, like, I hate that move. That's an example of a system that goes too much. That's the threshold. Whereas on a pretty good day or pretty good week, yeah, yeah, let's do it. We get to the end, we feel empowered, even though the sensation of discomfort is the same, our perception and relation to it is going to change. So when we're in our window, we can stay with things, we can do hard things and actually feel quite competent and confident enough. We don't always have to feel like a superhuman bionic being, but confident enough that we are able to stay with that practice. We've got present moment awareness. We're not so much in the past or in the future, but right here embodied, with our coach, with our client, with ourselves. We feel open and curious. There's that quality versus judgmental and defensive. We've got an awareness of boundaries. What is somebody else's? What's ours? What feels safe? What doesn't? We can name needs. Um, and there's that feeling safe piece. So our aim in the practices, the three anchors that we've introduced today are if we are, are even introducing some of these things into the space with clients, we are more apt to be somewhere in the center zone. Even if a client is high or low when they come in, even if we're high or low when we come in, we're more apt and more likely to be moving to this middle space. Anything you want to add, Kayla, before we go through the other two? No? No, that feels good. Okay. So how do we use this piece? Um, when you, if you decide to screenshot this and, and put this on the wall or keep this on your phone, just keep noticing your experience and the client's experience. You can come back to this chart and go, okay, yeah, like that was a really good session with a client. And where was I at on this chart? Or what did I notice about their system on this chart? Were there any qualities in the middle there that I picked up? Or as we'll talk about in a sec, high or low. So some of the, the um, symptomatology or how thoughts, emotions, actions, sensations would show up in the system when we're a little too high, near the warmer edges, are that there's a lot of tension in the body, a lot of tension. And you might see this, although this is not my um, area of expertise, it is something I'm quite familiar with in terms of my background, working with the nervous system, but also being a prior coach. We might start with like tension in the jaw, something called coupling, from somatic experiencing, Peter Levine, tension in the jaw, but then that leads to tension in the neck. But then that signal of tension in the neck goes to the shoulders and then it goes to the hips and then it goes the rest of the body, right? So one little signal of tension and then the whole body just locks up. We're super, super rigid. It's really interesting to notice our systems do this, but client systems as well. That's a protective mechanism. It's a bracing in the body. We're also going to notice there's an emotional reactivity there, uh, you know, like a really strong emotional response to split squats that from the outside, maybe someone say, someone would say is like a little unwarranted, right? like an F-bomb or something. <laughs> I'm being a bit playful here. Defensiveness, erasing a speed of thought. 
We might also experience overwhelm or clients in overwhelm, i.e. a feeling of not, not feeling safe, a lack of safety. There's a hypervigilance there, an impulsivity there, or maybe we might have strong emotions like anger or rage. So we might notice some of these things subtly. It might be things that clients report when we ask them, how's your day? How are you going? What do you notice? That'd be something we pick up in the speed with which they talk. Or for instance, if they go, no, 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 we'll just do more. We'll just do tons more, right? There's like an impulse or reflex to engage in things. These all might be little trailheads to go, okay, I think they might be high up. The other thing is we're going to notice it in our own systems. If we have a sense of kind of our baseline of feeling regulated, when someone comes in the room and they've got a really big charge to their system, we will pick that up. Right, so in that, I want to encourage you ladies to trust not only tuning in and noticing. When you're noticing your own system, you can use this chart, but also just get curious. Not even with clients, um, not even just with clients, but anyone in your life. Someone comes in the room and suddenly you're like, Ugh. right, we're picking something up. Neuroception is the term for it. Unconscious scanning for possible threat but then our system has a response to it. Is this something you've experienced before, Kayla? Kind of those energetic fields of other systems and mirror neurons? Yeah, you definitely can, um, especially with people who are in pain. So working in clinic, I definitely felt that. And this was when I was first out of university as well. So I was very new to kind of seeing 20 people a day, uh, you know, half an hour consults one after the other, mm. the energy. Yeah, I felt in the first four months, I was like drained and I only worked three and a half days a week, but those were long days. And those days, that day off in the middle and like the weekend, I was absolutely just like, you know, we've talked about sloth mode before. I was just like, ah, oh, I just don't have the energy to even train, really. Yeah. Yeah, you haven't shared that before, Kayla, but I work with a number of physios, osteos, and people who are, are in contact, direct contact with bodies experiencing chronic pain and injury. And it is a common thing that shows up. I don't know how much it's talked about in those industries, but we absorb and our system has a response to the pain body of someone else this you know 15 years ago this is like witch doctor stuff but we can see it now under fmri imaging that what's happening in someone else's system does have an impact on ours likewise the other way around it's one of the reasons this work and these practices are so important because if we're able to notice that regulate resource ourselves but also introduce to a space the social engagement system and the practice of that, their system follows ours as opposed to our system following theirs. Now I say this with the disclaimer because it's not a power control thing, but instead that our systems want to orient to safety. If we don't know that we have the influence, the capacity, the ability to regulate ourselves and people will attune to that, then we're at hostage to experiencing and taking on everything that's in the field. It's one of the reasons I believe this work is so, so important. It is a practice. It's not something we think. It's something we have to embody. But what you're describing there, Kayla, is so common. And, um, and I think in the osteo setting, I've got a long-term client, and she speaks about that, just the fatigue 
in her body in um, physical manipulation of injury and release work and how with some clients, the system feels the impact of it and other clients, it's it's fine. It's fascinating. Mm. Any Anything else on that just before we shift? That's cool. Uh, it actually just reminds me of a client I had and, you know, I used to do uh, the manipulations in clinic as well. And I remember this one client, you know, she was a beautiful lady. I saw her, saw her quite often and I would manipulate her often, but there was this one day where it was really quite difficult to get the manipulations to actually go. And there was this one day where she just went crack, 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 crack all the way up her spine. And she started crying and I was like, oh my God, did I hurt you? And she was like, no, she was like, oh my God, it felt like such a, an emotional release. <laughs> and it was fascinating. I was like, I, I thought I'd hurt her, but yeah, it was just like, she was just like, oh, kind yeah. of thing. Like her body was holding on. Mm. Yeah, that's, it's so cool. I'm, I'm holding myself back from going down a rabbit hole on this one, but, uh, <laughs> potentially a topic we can, we can speak to in future you know, yeah, release, release is the system moving from this really high tension, holding, constricting, controlling to just allowing release. When we think of like, a, and I don't know about you, Kayla, but like a really overwhelming time in life and you're like I'm pushing through and controlling, I'm doing the stuff. And then suddenly there's a day you just cry. Mm. That's a release. There are hormones and tears happy tears and sad tears of different hormones. Interestingly enough, it's the system way systems way of releasing, of letting go of, you know, release work. Um, in, in, interestingly, that's one form of it. So um, you've intrigued me, Kayla. I think we're going to have more conversations about that piece that you just shared. Definitely, definitely can of worms. Yeah. So in that, the third state here that we might notice in clients probably less often, only because these states tend not to show up as often in public spaces. This is because, and we learned this earlier, it's because hypo arousal where our defenses are down, where the system is really quite shut down. That is one of the most, from a survival perspective, it can, it can be quite dangerous for the system to be in. It doesn't mean it is dangerous, that's important to name, but from a brainstem perspective, if we're in the middle of the desert and we're alone and we need to get food and water, the system will always take action first because it's more likely to survive than to sit down and say, I'm really sad and this sucks, right? These are just the biological mechanisms that have kept the human race running. So that means, it doesn't mean it's bad. There's absolutely a purpose to it, which we learned in session one and two, helps the system restore, recover, release, um, necessary. It's also parasympathetic where heart rate goes down. It's also sleeping. When we sleep, that's hypoarousal state, we're unconscious, our muscles are deactivated. It's like, that's really important. Um, but day to day, when there's a lot going on around us, it's less likely that these states are going to show up. So I say that we might notice really subtle signs in people, but it's probable you're going to get people that are somewhere around here. Maybe not totally outside the window, but somewhere near the warm edge. We get some clients that are a little bit near the bottom edge. Um, they're pretty burnt out, might maybe emotionally having a lot of challenge there. So there's an absence of sensation, you might be taking them through a movement. Taryn shared a really great example of a client that was in high-low, was in a blended state. The brain was moving very fast, but the body had absence of sensation. The muscles don't grab, they don't hold tension, tempo, pausing, 
really specific lines are hard to hold. The muscles are kind of floppy. So the joints take the load. It's really hard for the, the, the system to be able to feel that sensation. It's going to show up in hypo. Low energy, reduced physical movement. Maybe they're a little bit absent. Um, their cognitive processing is really hard for them to learn new things, take new things on. Kayla, you gave a great example early on. I mean, I'm always mindful when I say great example, because these are people that have been really struggling. So helpful for our learning space, tough for the client. Mm. Uh, but th going through the, the education around the squat each week, same thing, right? That's an example of, of the PFC flickering, the thinking brain being offline because the system's so worried about getting through the day. It doesn't have the luxury in the space of being able to go, let's learn new stuff. Instead, the message is, let's just get to the end of the day. Like, we just got to make it. Right, so squats tend to be lower on the priority list than just getting through and surviving, right? It makes sense. Kayla's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> so that, that might be a little, a little pickup. Um, emotions are quite flat. How are you doing? Oh, fine. How are you doing? Oh, flat. How are you doing? Oh, good. Right. The words might say they're okay, but the, the emotions, the affect is, is pretty kind of monotone um, and, and doesn't shift that much. A bit disconnected. You might have clients here that experience shame or guilt and the system's quite shut down or passive. It's really hard to say no. It's where collaboration becomes increasingly important. A client that just says yes all the time. Okay. Yep. I trust you. Not building, um, building the tools of agency and autonomy, but also it might be the system just doesn't know how to name that. It might be totally too much. It might be completely overwhelming. But for a system that's experiencing some version of this, saying no is impossible. Physiologically not possible. So the checking, the permission, the slowing down enough to go, well, let's just sense. Like I hear it's okay, but like, how do you notice that it's okay? What tells us that? Where do you feel it? What sensation is it when you feel it? If I do it with you, we're starting to, to just inquire a little bit more and perhaps engage a little bit of the social engagement system here, shift the system a bit. All right, how are we doing for time? We're aiming for an hour, but we're really going deep here. Kayla. <laughs> so I'll, um, we've got a couple more slides to go. So for you listening in, take a little check to see how your focus, your attention are. We've got just a few more slides. So see if you're all right with sticking with us. Okay, cool. So our second is a tune. And this is where when we have practiced noticing and picking up, are they high? Are they steady? Are they low? Are we high? Are we steady? Are we low? But now there's this next piece, which is tuning to that state. If a client is high or edging towards the warmer the warmer sides of the window, what might this system need to feel safe enough to downregulate a little? We know when a system is highly active, it's because something doesn't feel safe. That is a guarantee. It's usually unconscious, but if there's a lot of adrenaline in the system, we know the amygdala is responding to something that doesn't feel safe. We don't even necessarily have to know the reason. Sometimes why is not the most powerful question when working with the nervous system. What and how, on the other hand, tend to be more effective. What might the system need to feel safe enough? When we attune to a state and go, geez, like you've had a massive day 
you've had a massive month. Actually, you've had a massive decade. And I want to acknowledge you for that. And you've been revving and you're doing an excellent job. You're ticking the boxes. You're doing everything for everybody else. I just want to check what might feel okay for our space. Because you're revving everywhere else. We can do some things here. It's what it's for. But this space is yours. And we want to ensure it feels right. So what might be helpful? And slow down. And do something that's a little lower stakes. We can have some fun. And just warm up and see. Right, we're starting to attune to safety. If the system's low, it's the same question. What might the system need to feel safe enough to upregulate? Just easing in. Just coming back online a little and starting to tune into the body. A system that's offline, that does a PB squat, is a totally different experience for that nervous system than when it's embodied and regulated. That's an important thing to know, that when we're doing weights, when our PFC is online, when we're embodied and engaged in that process, that sends a signal to the nervous system that says under load and under pressure, I'm steady, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Under load and under pressure, I'm steady, I'm strong, I'm powerful. Now you can imagine that this extrapolates to the outside world. That when we feel tension, we're okay. When we feel a load, we can push back. When we feel pressure or a level of stress on our physiology, we're smooth, we can stay with it, we can breathe through it. This is conditioning a nervous system to be able to do hard things and feel safe doing them. On a different day outside our window, high or low, we have that pressure on the system and it feels wobbly and it sends a message to the system saying, I'm out of control. Pressure is bad. Stress is too much. I can't hold it. These are all implicit messages in the body. But these questions of what do we need to feel safe enough? Maybe it's tuning in. Maybe it's a buddy breathing, slowing down, activating muscles in a different way. Maybe it's just going for a walk doing a little bit less weight, slowing down the tempo. Any examples you want to give to this, Kayla, in terms of helping clients feel a little bit safer, other when they're high, they're low? Um, I think one thing for if they're a little bit high, which is the most common one, is um, during the movement prep, if like, you know, if you're in person during movement prep, um, Rather than, you know, programming, say, like an arbitrary number for a side plank or a front plank or something like that, I'll program a number of breath cycles. So as they're going through, I'll just say, um, hold, you know, hold your side plank for five breaths rather than and like try and make them deep and slower breaths. So sort of that's a little bit more like, I guess, internal regulation. Um, if they are low, then we might do, I don't know, I, I haven't really experienced too many that are low, you know, maybe making a little joke or, um, helping them to feel a little bit better, something like that. Yeah. Relational pieces. So powerful. Uh, the example that we shared last week around low was with, um, Taryn, her client, like an isometric hold. Giving a client, not mm. like, a, um, so let's say a tempo of three, one, 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 
it's a pretty standard tempo, might be way too fast for a system in hypo to be able to catch the stimuli, right? Everything's slower. Mm. So you can be moving through a seven second rep. Is that seven sets? Just six second rep total, <laughs> my math. <laughs> but it's just not enough time for the system to be able to catch that. So something like an isometric hold for either beginners or systems that are a little bit offline, they can't feel their muscles, they can't feel their body. The difference between six seconds of noticing and 30 to 40 seconds of noticing and we can feel this in our own, you know, doing a front support or a plank in, in proper form. We can feel the muscle kind of switch on. And then in the breathing, it like squeezes, starts to get warm. We get the pressure. We can feel our transverse. Like it starts to feel kind of nice. I don't know about you, but I love, <laughs> I love that feeling. So incredibly containing for the nervous system, which is I can contain. I have a container around me. My energy isn't going 10,000 different places. Right. And sensory motor therapy and somatic experiencing. Um, so Peter Levine, Pat Ogden, these are the areas that I've been trained. They use isometricals. They wouldn't call it that because they're not working with athletes often, but they use isometricals, the pressure on the muscle for 30 seconds and then a release, a pressure and then a release to send signals to the amygdala that you're safe. It wakes things up. It's slow enough that it gives the PFC a chance to attune to it. It builds the signal that you pay attention to as opposed to trying to catch it. But if you're in hyper or somewhere in the middle, you can probably pick it up a bit quicker, but in hypo, you just need the space and time, the awareness, the slowness, the steadiness. So in both the relational pieces that you're talking about, Kayla, absolutely imperative, but then from a movement perspective, you using the body as a resource, we might, let's say someone has like steady enough, but they've got a lot of energy, you know, like a little bit of hit, at the end of a session and they're like smiling and airdyne salt bike <laughs> personal mm -hmm. monologue if someone's feeling really flat you're not gonna like it's gonna be really hard for them to execute that it's probably gonna really burn them out and collapse them right so i'll hold with really deep breathing and then maybe you'll notice their face kind of lighten up their eyes soften they're starting to come alive again so we're gonna look on the next slide as to where we put these pieces in the internal and external resources um, that we've listed out for you in last week and this week's PowerPoint. And then the last one, if they're steady, what might this system need to learn and grow? If someone's quite well in their window, you're in their window, you want to be mindful of pace and dose, but this is where we've got a lot more wiggle room to introduce new information, to be able to kind of like push the limits just a touch, you know, things like progressive overload or introducing a more complex movement or something that's unfamiliar, however we want to define it. If we're in the green zone, you're going to have more of a buffer, right? And you're going to notice these, your clients that are like unicorns. They're able to take things on and execute them with ease. They learn very quickly. It's not because their system is totally magical compared to everybody else. It's because they're in their window, very simply. Everyone goes outside their window, us included. It's normal. It's a reflexive survival response. It keeps us alive. One, we want to make sure that there isn't an expectation for everyone to be in their window all the time, but instead understand the mechanism, be able to notice a little bit as to when it's showing up for them and us, but then start to go, well, what are the interventions to bring into the highs versus the lows versus the steady? So that brings us to our second uh, visual. You'll notice this is also window of tolerance where we've got hyper up the top, hypo down the bottom with some different definitions that you can take a look at in your own time. 
and then in the middle. Now you'll see where my cursor is between in and out of the window here and in and out of the window here. We've got this little buffer, right? And this is where the question is, when I notice that a client is somewhere around here, what might help them feel safe enough to come back into the window? In this buffer, this is where we can start to orient the internal and external resources. Just experiment with a few. The internal and external resources that we've spoken about last week and, and are attached to the PowerPoint here. It's where we start to bring them in. So as an overview, as you practice this, the need of a system that's pretty high activation, that is having trouble downregulating, calming a little bit, we need soothing and we need grounding. Movement, especially under load that's smooth, that's steady, that's embodied, is incredibly grounding, incredibly grounding. We will notice the difference here in, um, I don't know about you, Kayla, but it's like really weird to do a body weight squat when you've been doing loaded squats for ages. Does that feel right to you? It's like, you're like, whoa, yeah. where's my center Where of gravity? Yeah. yeah, your body tries to figure out where's the path, where's the ground, where am I? Whereas when you're under load, there's a really clear line, your body's familiar with it. It can push back against something. You're not like pushing against air. You're pushing against a wall, right? Which really sends a signal and switches things on. So um, lifting weights that are smooth, joints are steady and safe. The muscles are properly activated. We're feeling it as a whole body and whole brain state because our PFC is online, communicating to the rest, communicating to the body. That is incredibly grounding. So a system that can't calm down, we need relational peace. This is the capacity to hold space in suffering because it's hard when your system's really revving. And then resources that help ground it, send signals of going, I'm steady, I'm smooth, I'm powerful. And then we've got down the bottom. Here, the need in hypos, things are kind of shut down. They're a bit disconnected. We need a little bit of stimulation, not too much, but a little bit of stimulation to kind of come back online. Right. So in this case, Kayla, you were saying like a little bit of playfulness, definitely some eye contact that attuned, like I'm with you. It's okay. It's okay. If you're not perfect, I'm not perfect either. It's okay. If you're not revving and hitting a BB today, I'm probably not either. <laughs> so that some sort of stimulation, isometric cold as an example, but then also there's an orientation to the time and place. What do we mean by that? In the 30-second hold of an isometric, we're giving the body a lot of time to go, we're right here. We're not changing the movement. We're not messing with variables. We're just staying with this one thing, just this one thing. We're going to notice that. We can do that from a relational perspective in a session as well, which is, I hear it's crazy out there. And I hear it's been a lot just here and now. It's really important this feels okay for you. I'm here for you. This space is yours. See what it might feel like for us to kind of design this or like, what would it look like today? Could we be curious on what might be needed? Right? Which brings us into the present. So we're orienting to present moment, which is the PFC, but then just gentle stimulation that doesn't cause more uh, emergency in the system, but instead a really gentle kind of building of awareness, right? Socially, but as well somatically.
in the body. Here, you can take a look at the internal and external resources listed as well, but it's really these two places. So first we wanna notice where clients are here or here, but then as we practice attunement, it's going, geez, that's really tough. What kind of things will help them feel safe? So they're hovering less up the top or bottom and coming a little bit more into the center. Anything you want to add to this, Kayla? We just got a little bit more to go before we wind down. Yeah, no, I think that you explained that beautifully. I think that feels good. Okay. And then our final practice, this is the collaborative practice. And this is ongoing you're going to find your own language for this. We encourage you to find your own language for this, but this is modeling connection, but it's also utilizing the information that they have in their system, helping them develop a language to be able to communicate to you. So you can both use that. Agency autonomy is really built in this piece. So how do you notice your client respond to the pace with which you're delivering things, the density of information, and the relational rhythms. This is a really interesting challenge when we're doing a recording back because we can't see any faces on the screen. So we're gonna to have to trust, and we had some little checkpoints there, but trust that your system's following along, able to pause, able to regulate. But one of the reasons it's so important to see people on a live call is we can kind of gauge, right? Are they leaning back? Are they leaning in? Are they asking questions? Are they sharing? We can actively say, is it too much? Is it too little? So we're looking for those physiological signs of them pulling back, leaning in to the pace, the density, and the relational rhythm. And play with it a little bit. It might surprise you that slowing down the pace, people pick things up a lot faster. That actually simplifying things or asking one question where they can discover versus telling them the answer that might shift things. Making a joke, telling a little bit about yourself, sharing like, oh yeah, me too. That's kind of funny being human that way. <laughs> how far that can go to just create a bit of a bridge. So the provocation here, ladies, is how are you checking in with them around this? When your pace does increase, right? And we've modeled this in the space the last four weeks when there is a heavier dose. You've heard me say it. I know Kayla, you're such an advocate for this where we go, Woo, that was a dense block of information. Let's check, let's pause, let's see. How do we use this information? Do we need to pull back, slow down? A little harder to do it today uh, because we don't have gals in the room, but do you have a process coaches on how you're checking in around this moment to moment? And how are you offering support and trust in their naming of needs in the process? So if something's prescribed, checking back on, how's it feel? Too much, too little, okay? And then following up to go, how'd you go with that? Oh, it didn't go so well. What was tricky about that? Let's get curious. Ah, you were feeling pretty activated or whatever language they use, you're feeling pretty stressed. Okay, so on like a good day, that might've been all right, but just in the context of this last week, it's been crazy. Of course, of course that was too much. Would it feel helpful if we simplified things? Maybe if we just did like one or two instead of five or six, could we try that? Right there, we've just practiced noticing attuning and collaborating just in that example so powerful to be able to implement even five percent of those pillars we are nearly through this kayla so i would love we're going to wind down in just a sec thank you so much ladies 
in watching the playback for staying with this. In some ways, this was way more dense than last week. <laughs> we didn't intend that, but, but Kayla, what you got? I'd love to hear what's happening for you. No, I was just going to say I have a bit of a joke that uh, I like to turn bodybuilders into powerlifters and powerlifters into bodybuilders because <laughs> the bodybuilders are just always like go, 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 go. And then when they find the pace of like the strength training really, really slow, I've actually found that their body responds so much better to it because they've, they're, you know, they usually tend to be those people who are like, you know, go, go, go a lot. And it's just bringing them down a tiny bit, you know, more rest between sets, things like that. And they stick with that. Like they've found that that type of training suits their body better. Whereas like with powerlifters, it's like, it's bringing them up a little bit when, you know, giving them supersets and things like that, when they're so used to like the slow pace of it. And um, yeah, in the mentorship, we have two blocks. So you have a strength block and a, and a hypertrophy block. And, you know, Everyone loves what they're good at and what they um, are attracted to is what they're good mm. at, but then giving them something that's different and giving them that eat something that either slows them down or speeds them up, I've found is super interesting. And I've, like only when you just mentioned that piece did that come up. That is excellent, excellent feedback. I'm just uh, revisiting my experience this morning working with my own trainer and I'm doing some, um, some tempo work at the moment, which is my favorite. I love it um, because with my rheumatoid, you know, my joints are all, always vulnerable. My system is accustomed to moving very quickly. It's no coincidence. <laughs> I've worked to master the work that, uh, that I'm doing um, because I, I, I really struggled with it um, for most of my life, uh, especially before I kind of tumbled accidentally into this line of work. Um, and study and the second we start moving into tempo and my programming of 2111 I even like feel the tension in my body now saying it out loud the second that happens the parts of my system that love revving they're like great efficiency within one or two weeks my joints are like hmm, no no now yeah. now it's not enough time for my system to stay really engaged with the movement in my body. So tempo work, uh, pulse work uh, in, in working with my coaches is always my favorite. My joints always thank me. Like, it's just, it's interesting to hear your feedback on that. So I don't know if you're calling me a bodybuilder or a powerlifter, pretty sure bodybuilder, we're, we're moving into a powerlifter. I did do powerlifting for a couple of years and there was a Pow, five minute- Power building. Yeah. <laughs> well, I had five minute rests in between sets there and I'm just like, I was lost. Kayla, yeah. I don't know what I was doing with my life. I'm like, but what am I, how do I, <laughs> anyway, settled somewhere in between. So we're, we're nearly at the end here, ladies. These are our three practices to go out and try. We can take this, just write these down if we understand the concepts enough and see how we want to apply them. Like really get kind of creative and curious on how we apply them because we all have tools already. I suspect, I can't guarantee, but I suspect very strongly that every single person listening in is already practicing some version of all of these three things. We're simply naming it. We're putting it in a sequence. We're bringing awareness to something you're already doing and is probably already working. If you wanted to go a little deeper, of course, you can utilize the resources in the PowerPoint themselves, print them out, put them somewhere where it is highly accessible 
that when you're working with a client, maybe it's before a session, check back, come on in, experiment with some things, notice, attune, collaborate. When you come out of that session, you can check back with those visual resources. Also check in with AWPT in the portal or with Kayla, with the other coaches, and just see how you're going with it. This is a lifetime of work. Our aim was to make it as simple as possible. Starting with these three pillars, we're going to also do some case studies moving forward. So if it wasn't motivation enough to just try it out with your clients and for you, we're going to encourage you to go out into the field to practice it, to bring back case studies so we can work with you on them in future calls. This has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, we've got the PowerPoint ready to share. And then just as a highlight, ladies, in this PowerPoint itself, and I won't bring them all up, but in this PowerPoint itself, we've got all of the external regulators listed after the visuals you've seen today. So we won't share them because it's a little clinical, but that's where they're accessed in this PowerPoint and moving forward, there's eight more. Kayla. Amazing. Mind us Amazing. Down. Thank you so much, first of all, Michelle, for bringing us these four weeks. It's been absolutely amazing. We've had some really great sharing uh, with the live calls. And, you know, I've really appreciated everyone who's been able to jump on those calls. Um, the little hiccup that we had not recording last week has led to this, which has been an absolutely deeper dive. So, First of all, everyone who's watching this back would love to hear how you enjoyed this format versus the live call format. Uh, we really love the live call format with all the uh, engagement and all the, the messages there. There's a lot of messages at the end uh, of that last chat. I was just reading them over, just saying thank you so much, Michelle, for all your knowledge. Um, thank you, Michelle. I want to say personally thank you, Michelle, for, you know, me being able to work with you as well um, it's just been I think it's been over a year now and we're only just getting started everyone who has been on these calls thank you so much everyone who watches these calls back previously they're going to live on our website if we do create like you were saying throughout uh, the lecture this into a podcast anyone who's found this extremely helpful um it does live on our website as well. So you can watch back the other three calls um, and, and as well have access to those visual resource, resources that we've been talking about. Um, but I just want to say thank you guys so much for being leaders in the industry. Thank you so much for bettering yourselves as coaches to help better your clients. Uh, you guys really are the leaders and that's what we're trying to do at AWPT. It's what Michelle's doing with uh, in AON with her clients from all different industries if you want more from michelle uh you can follow her on instagram she probably will hate that i say that at michelle Beatty or at the art of noticing uh is her her business there which i'm a part of and you know she's a coach a mentor and a friend to me um and yeah i just really appreciate this so much so Thank you all. Thank you, Michelle. And we look forward to working with you guys in the future in helping with your clients with applied neuroscience and, and your own systems as well. We, we, we hope to dig deeper into this. So we'll see you soon.